All right. Good night, everyone. Good evening. How is everyone? Good. Good. It's kind of getting chilly outside. Feels like fall tonight. I'm ready for that though. I like that about Iowa. When I lived in Ghana and West Africa, it was like hot and sunny every day. And you'd think that that would be awesome, but it was like so boring. I could not wait for a day for it to rain just so it was like a change of pace. And it was super hot too, you know, not mild hot. It was super hot. But I like the Four Seasons of Iowa. All right. Well, I don't know about everyone else here in this room, but I was super um, affected and blessed by Pastor Choi's sermon on Sunday about finding and discovering um, you know, what God has for you, receiving it, and then expressing it outward in your life and to others. So I just want to kind of carry that theme into this evening. Um, this was already on my heart before Sunday, but it goes right in line with that because um, I want to talk about the Father's love tonight. And that really was ultimately the core of his teaching on Sunday was, you know, the Father's love in the story of the prodigal son and how important it is to find and discover that love, to receive it, and then of course, in turn, you will then express it out in your life by your actions and toward those around you so that they can experience his love. And I wanna start, this is my daughter's Bible, and if you have kids, the Jesus Storybook Bible is pretty amazing. What age level, Donna, do you think it would go up to? Even up to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's significant word usage and so forth, but Donna got this Bible from my daughter. And we've read it cover to cover. We read one story a night for about 40 nights. But um, this story, I read one night with her and it just affected me. I've heard this story before. It's the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. But um, I hadn't had the thoughts that I had um, before when I listened to it just a few months ago with Charlotte. And so it's been one of those things that's been rolling around in me and I, you know, I wrote, wrote it down in my journal and so I just thought it was a good, a good um, topic tonight. Um, so the story of Zacchaeus is in Luke chapter 19 and we're going to read it from you know, a regular Bible a little bit later here, but I want to start by reading it in here, and it's like a little bit lengthy, but not too lengthy, so just hang in there, but um, it really is well written. That This Bible is really cool because every single, it goes through stories from, you know, Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and all the stories point to the rescuer, who is Jesus, and you can just see how that's how God set up the Bible. I mean, everything is pointing to him or pointing back at him, um, and this, how they've written the stories really pulls that out and shows that. Um, so that's what's really cool about it. But um, so let's begin. The, they named this story, The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends. None. So none in parentheses. So there was once a man who didn't have any friends. None. Do you have any friends? Well, of course you do. But not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. 
Was it because he was so short? That's not a reason not to like someone. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? Well, neither is that. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. No, people didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Taxes were what people had to pay the king. But Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. Everyone knew what he was up to and it made them cross and grumpy. They didn't like Zacchaeus one bit. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, there's that nobody who thinks he's a somebody loud enough so he could hear. Anyway, one day a huge crowd gathered by the road. Jesus was coming to their town and everyone wanted to see him. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus too, but everyone was too tall. He tried jumping up and down, but that didn't work. He couldn't see a thing. Luckily, Zacchaeus had a good idea. I'll climb that sycamore tree, he said. So he did. He was surprisingly good at climbing trees for a man who was so unusually short that he had to take a flying leap just to get into his chair in the morning. They took some liberties, of course, but I'm sure it's accurate. From the trees, Zacchaeus had the perfect view all the way down the road. Another minute, and suddenly Jesus was at the tree. He stopped and looked up. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'd like to come over to your house. Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. Come over to his house? No one ever wanted to come anywhere near his house, let alone inside it. The people saw this, and needless to say, it made them even crosser and grumpier than usual. They mumbled and murmured and muttered, why is Jesus being kind to that big sinner? Doesn't Jesus know about him? Zacchaeus scrambled down and took Jesus to his house. He was in a big hurry because he didn't want Jesus to change his mind. Perhaps Jesus hadn't heard about him. Perhaps Jesus didn't know about how he had been stealing and how no one liked him and how he didn't have any friends. But Jesus knew. He knew all about Zacchaeus and the stealing and everything, and he still loved him. Zacchaeus was ashamed. Lord, he said, turning pale, what I've done is wrong, but now I want to do the right thing. I will give the money back to everyone, four times what I stole. And that's just what he did. Jesus smiled. My friend, he said, today God has rescued you. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. He was Zacchaeus' friend even when no one else was because Jesus was showing people what God's love was like. His wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So that's the story, the end. But when I read that to her, what really stood out to me is that Jesus didn't say a word to Zacchaeus about his sin. 
He didn't say a word to him. The only words he said were, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. He didn't say a word to him. He simply extended love to Zacchaeus and that moved Zacchaeus to repentance. That changed him. Simply walking in love toward him. So of course I thought, well that's it, you know, wow, that really stood out to me. And I thought, well, let's see if that's really how it went in the actual Bible. So let's go to Luke 19, just to make sure. I didn't take a liberty there. Just skip a word that he said. So if you go to Luke 19, right at the beginning, verse 1. Nineteen verse one in the in the book of Luke, it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. Because he was okay. And he was rich. And he was trying to see Jesus, which one he was, but he could not on account of the crowd, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, and he received and welcomed him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all muttered among themselves and indignantly complained, he has gone in to be the guest of and lodge with a man who is devoted to sin and preeminently a sinner. So then Zacchaeus stood up and solemnly declared to the Lord, See, Lord, the half of my goods I now give by way of restoration to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I now restore four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today is salvation come to all members of this household, since Zacchaeus too is a real spiritual son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So they were right. They accurately um, proclaimed the story. He didn't say anything. He just showed love towards Zacchaeus. He went to his home, and that love being poured out to him changed him. So it got me thinking about that, and of, of course, it immediately um, brought me to the scripture in Romans 2 4, one of my favorites. Romans chapter 2 4, because it's really a depiction of this very scripture. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It's a little wordy, but I'm going to. Or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind and inner man to accept God's will. And in, in the King James Version, it says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That is what happened to Zacchaeus. The goodness of God, him deciding, I want to come to your house, you who no one likes, who because you've been an, a bad man, because you've cheated them, I'm going to come to your house. And that goodness toward him led him to repentance. And you know, 
we all we all have areas in our life where we know change needs to occur and you know lots of times we want to strive in our own ability to make those changes or we or we might have someone in our life that we know you know has something in their lives that needs to, to change and we think we need to like proclaim that to them and help them fix that and of course if they come to you for assistance I'm not talking about that but we think we need to like take matters into our own hands but God says no God's goodness leads you to repentance God's goodness leads others to repentance that getting filled up finding and discovering God's the father's love and his goodness toward you is what will change you and that is also what will change those around you when you find and receive and then you express that's what's going to change them that's what's going to change their lives for the better it's his goodness I think oftentimes we like to be the Holy Spirit. Whether it's in our own life or in someone else's life, we, we like to be the Holy Spirit. We like to be the one that proclaims this is not the way it should be. This is how things need to change. This is what you should do. And um, we aren't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and if we try, we're, we're, we're going to fail. And then we're, we're probably either going to mess something up in our own lives if it's us trying to be the Holy Spirit for ourselves or we're going to turn someone off to Jesus turn someone off to the Father's love because they all they think is that you're bringing regulation into their life and we don't want that so we need to let the Holy Spirit have his way if you go to John chapter 16 um, we'll start in verse 7 John chapter 16, verse 7, talks of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is Jesus. He says, however, I am telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. And if you go down to verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the whole full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. So the, that's, the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit's job to enlighten us, to um, help us to see where, where change needs to occur. That's not our job. Not that God could not use you, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. And you know, the Holy Spirit was present in that situation with Jesus as that goodness came to Zacchaeus. You know that, there was, that he was at work there to, to open his eyes and go, this needs to change in my life. Jesus didn't have to do that. He just showed him the Father's love. God's goodness softens the heart to allow in the Holy Spirit. It's really what it does. Um, I wanted to share a couple of stories from Andrew Womack. So some of you, if you've read some of his books or listened to some of his teachings, you've probably heard these stories. But they're just good examples of God's goodness leading to repentance. 
and I wanted to share them with you this evening. The first one, um, he, he tells a story that him and his wife were pastoring a church at some point, I don't remember where, but um, they were pastoring a church somewhere and one day their family was out in a park having a picnic he and his wife and his children, and they saw this family, a husband and a wife and a two-year-old, who were living out of the back of their pickup truck. And um, that family came up to them and was begging them for some food. They had nothing. And he came to find out that they had just left a nudist colony where they had lived for two years, and probably all that comes with that lifestyle, I can only imagine, and had nothing. And so they ministered the Father's love to this family and um, brought them into the church and families throughout the church, you know, helped them with clothing and housing and just got them back on their feet and got them, them established in the community. And of course they, kept, they began to come to church and you know, to hear the truth. But um, being from a nudist colony, the woman, have you heard the story, Donna? Yeah. This woman had really very little clothes to wear. She basically, he, um, Andrew Womack said she basically had short shorts and halter tops and he said she left little to be desired or little to be little to the imagination that's the word and and you know she was full of joy and and gladness and God's love though and she would come and these are his words not mine and she would like bounce around and hello you know it, it wasn't a good sight <laughs> during the church service and so, you know, other members were coming up to Andrew Womack saying, why don't you say something to her? Why don't you go tell her that that is not the way to dress, especially in church? Because she could, you know, they were muttering, they were mumbling. And Andrew just knew that he wasn't supposed to, that, that God would take care of that. She was, she was enjoying the love of the Father. He wasn't going to put a damper on that. And so... You know, life went on, and they continued to grow in the church. And um, one evening, his wife had a Bible study in her home, and the woman came into the Bible study, and she said, "I want women, if you would pray for me, I really want a dress. I've just never had a dress before. I really, I really want to have a dress." And so they prayed with her. And of course, before she left the meeting that night, he said she had about 15 dresses. And they were all up to her chin and down to her ankle. And, but see, God took care of it. God's, God's goodness opened her eyes that, you know, maybe this isn't appropriate attire that I'm wearing. And he took care of it. His, his goodness, you know, in her life led to that change in her heart. And then another story that he shares in that line, um, he was at some kind of an event, like a, 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 a big meeting, and there was a woman there who had gotten born again just a few weeks or so before the meeting, and he had invited anyone who wanted to testify to come up. And she, you know, was excited. I mean, remember this one too, Paul? She was excited and wanted to come up, and so he was like, yeah, come on up, and she was full of the Father's love. I mean, she had had a major revelation about who God was and how, you know, how much he loved her. And he came up and he gave her the mic and she was like, oh my, that blankety blank God, he's so blankety blank. And she just kept swearing and going on. All the how God was so great, but all these swear words, Andrew Womack said he heard words he'd never heard before. And, you know, 
after it was all over, she's like just so happy, you know, after it was all over, you know, people came up to him and said, why'd you let her do that? You know, why did you let her keep, keep talking on the mic? Why didn't, why didn't you tell her that that's not how you, you're supposed to speak as a Christian? And, and once again, he said, the father will take care of that. The father will take care of that. And um, he came back to that same area. I don't remember the time frame, maybe a few months later or something. And she came up to him and she said, I'm so sorry that I talked like that. I didn't know. I didn't know that I, that I shouldn't talk like that. God took care of it. You know, he didn't have to put a damper on her excitement in Christ or be the, be the person to, he didn't have to be the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can take care of himself. <laughs> but I thought those, those were great examples of God's goodness will lead, will lead us to repentance. And those are maybe like blatant examples, but even if there's things in your life that you're like, I don't think that's quite right how that's going. I think I need to make a change there. Let his goodness lead you that way. Let his goodness come into that area and lead you to repentance, lead you to change. I always think about when um, Pastor Dave um, talks about a statement that Kenneth Hagin made about his want to, and this will be familiar to probably everyone in here, but um, I thought of that again today. You know, this is letting God's goodness lead you to repentance is, allow, is about letting God change your want to instead of you forcing yourself to try to do things a certain way. You know, letting him come in and making that change in you because Kenneth Hagin would say, you know, I do all the smoking I want. I, I, want. I do all the cussing I want. Um, I do all the drinking I want. I just don't want to. So, you know, in his life he's saying, it's not that I have these rules and regulations that I put up that I'm trying and striving to follow. I'm in love with God, and he's changed my want to, and I just don't want to do those things anymore. And that's how God wants to operate in our lives. He wants to come in and make a change. He wants to change our want to. So... You know, this, this is about finding his goodness, receiving it, and letting it change you, and then expressing that goodness to others, and we'll do the same thing. So, um, I'm already ready to finish. Sorry, guys, maybe we'll have to have some discussion time. I, don't, I can only say what I have, right? <laughs> I can't make anything up. But um, I really want to encourage you to, to really go and seek out and maybe we can talk about other examples in his word, but go and seek out, you know, the Father's love and come to really know it, you know, how much the Father loves you um, because that is what it will produce change and a passion to do things his way. And um, I wanted to bring up the story. It really has nothing to do specifically with what, we're, what I'm teaching tonight, but it, it is an example of the love of the Father, and I just really love the story, and I want to share it to just add, add another example to your life of how God loves you and cares for you, and doesn't condemn you or, you know, look at you in, in shame in any way. Um, it's actually in the Old Testament. It's back in Second Kings chapter four, and. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 
and this is a story, of course, of uh, the prophet Elisha. But, of course, in the Old Testament, the prophets were the hands of God on the earth. And so we know that how they operated is how God wanted them, you know, to operate on his behalf on the earth at that time. And it says here, Now the wife of a son of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you of sale value in the house? And she said, Your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go around and borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few. And when you come in, shut the door upon you and your sons. Then, you pour out, then pour out the oil you have into all these vessels, setting aside each one when it is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon herself and her sons, who brought to her the vessels as she poured the oil. When the vessels were all full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not a one left. Then the oil stopped multiplying. Then she came and told the man of God, he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. I just love that, because it's such a demonstration that God is a debt-relieving God. And I think in, this, in, in the world we live in, there's a lot of debt, and there's a lot of shame that comes with debt. And um, we sometimes feel like if we got ourselves in debt, that that's our own fault, and we have to get, get ourselves out of it. I don't believe that's how God operates. And I don't believe that's what he shows in this story. Um, so I just want you to see the Father's love within this. You know, when the prophet, when she came and told the prophet, you know, my, the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. He didn't look at her and say, well then, how, how did you and your husband get yourselves in so much debt? What did you do? Did you have to buy the fancy horse trough? Or whatever it was back then. <laughs> did you have to have that big of a house? Or... You know, he didn't lecture her. He didn't tell her that let your sons go to the creditors for a few years and pay it off. I mean, he wasn't hard towards her in that or, or say that she needed to figure that out on her own because she brought that upon herself. His response to her was, here, I have a plan. I serve a debt-relieving God, and he's going to get you out of debt. Now, she had to obey him. There was an element of action that, that was required on her part, definitely. But he said, here's the plan. He gave her the plan. He supernaturally worked within that plan. That was a miraculous thing. It was not natural. And she was able to get out of debt and have enough to live on. I just think that's, a, that's, that's the picture of your father. Whatever it is, if it's debt or if it's consequences from past decisions or broken relationships or, you know, whatever it is that, that seems like it's your fault, and it, or it is your fault, you know, you, you made the error or whatever. God loves you, and he wants to come in and show you his goodness and fix it with you and for you. And I just want to fill you up with that, that, that his love is so good like that. And um, because that, and that is what will, will change you and give you the passion and the energy to serve him, is knowing and, and experiencing that. And uh, one last scripture in Luke chapter 12.
Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It says, fear not, little flock. I love this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think back to the story of the prodigal son from sun Sunday. You know, both those sons didn't realize their father wanted to give them the kingdom. You know, the one son got part of the kingdom, wasted it, and then thought, I don't have any right to want any more of the kingdom. I've wasted it. The other son obeyed his father as far as not living in frivolous living, a frivolous life, but never tapped into what was available to him because he also did not realize that his father wanted to give him the kingdom. Your father wants to give you the kingdom. Whether you've obeyed your whole life <laughs> or you haven't, none of us have fully, but he wants to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When I think of the kingdom, I think of everything. It tells us in the word that he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. You are upright in Christ Jesus all the time. In this, in this dispensation of grace that we live in, you are righteous, you are upright, and he withholds no good thing from you. And I just love that. It's such, it's such a picture of the Father's love, that he wants to give you the kingdom. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So, I just wanna fill you up with that tonight. Um, and you know, receive that and express that out to others. And it will change them. Anyone else have any other stories about the Father's love? Donna does. Oh. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. At Women of Life last night, Miranda read um, Psalm 139. And um, of course, if, if you go to Psalm 139, maybe I'll read like one verse from it so you guys can just get a taste if you're not as familiar with that. Psalm 139. Um, it says, O Lord, you have searched me thoroughly and have known me. You know my down sitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue still unuttered, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So if you just go on and read that whole psalm, it's just about how God knows everything. I mean, he knows everything you do. He knows everything you think. He knows everything you say. He knows everything you desire, past, present, future. And after she shared, I just um, shared with the women that, you know, when you know the Father loves you, when you hear that, it makes you go, what a relief. He knows everything. Where on the flip side, if you don't know the Father loves you, what does that make you go? <gasps> he knows everything? Oh my goodness. He knew what I did yesterday? He knew I had that thought? 
And so you can kind of gauge where you're at in the Father's love depending on your response to that. And if you respond in the, oh, no way, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Of course, that just means there, there's what you need to seek after and discover is the Father's love. Because that should make you go, yes, I'm so glad he knows everything. I mean, that is, that is how I have felt like that, or I felt about that for so long that, oh, I'm just so glad. You know, you even know why I did that. Or if I do something that I regret later, I go, you know that I didn't really want to do that. To whereas other people, you know, they'll watch you do something wrong and they'll go, they must be really sinful. They didn't realize they shouldn't have done that. They don't know your innermost thoughts. God does. <laughs> and so he knows what your heart is thinking. So it's just such a reassurance when you, when you know the love of the Father that he knows everything about you and still loves you. I mean, he knew everything about Zacchaeus. That did not make him not want to go to his house. In fact, that probably is more even what motivated him to go see him. So That's all I have. I don't have anything else. But let's pray. I do have a prayer for, for us all tonight. And then maybe we can go watch our kids get ministered to or something. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. May we, may we know that we know that we know that you love us. That may, we, may we understand what that love is in a deeper way. That it's not, it's not at all the kind of love that we experience and see on this earth. But it's so greater, it's so much deeper, it's so much wider. It covers, it covers everything. And may that love and, and the goodness in that love come into areas of our lives where change needs to occur. And may it lead us, may it lead us to change, may it lead us to repent and make those changes so that we can be more like you and a, and a greater expression of who you are and of your love to those around us. God, you want to give us the kingdom ultimately so that we can show that kingdom to others. So we can experience it ourselves and then we can express it forth so that others can, can come into your family and you can give your kingdom to them too. And so we just pray this and receive it and desire it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much.